Good evening, my friends, and welcome back to 62 Horror Movies with Josh Hitchens, that's me. Or I'm your host for a creepy double feature every night in October. Come join me, won't you? My friends, it is October 29th, and tonight is Found Footage Night on 62 Horror Movies, and we're going to be talking about two movies released one year apart from one another, made independently of one another, uh, but both of whom really changed the game in terms of horror in a lot of different ways. First, we're going to be talking about The Last Broadcast, released in 1998, and then The Blair Witch Project, released in 1999, which became a worldwide phenomenon. So, uh, I first learned about the last broadcast from Fangoria magazine, uh, which was uh, a horror movie magazine that I loved growing up. I got every issue of it. Uh, and Fangoria was recently revived um, after a long time away. But Fangoria had an article about the last broadcast, and I uh, rented it and watched it late one night. And the last broadcast really, really unsettled me. Um, it has a premise similar to the Blair Witch Project, and there was a lot of controversy at the time of the Blair Witch Project's release that they that the makers of Blair Witch had stolen the idea from the makers of the last broadcast, and that simply is not true. Um, the movies were both sort of planned and made around the same time, but in completely different parts of the United States. Um, the folks involved had no knowledge of each other's projects, and the movies are actually very different in their structure. The last broadcast is actually, uh, very similar to what the original version of the Blair Witch Project was going to be, and that the last broadcast combines found footage from these folks who disappeared and later died with a more, um, sort of a mock documentary feel, very much like uh, the old uh, show In Search Of or uh, Unsolved Mysteries, where you have this creepy event that happened, you have some video footage documenting it, but then there are also people who are analyzing that footage, and you have a lot of talking heads of people who knew the victims uh, and people who are trying to get to the bottom of the mysterious things that happened in the woods. So, the last broadcast is a documentary uh, that is uh, the project of a filmmaker named David Lee, who is investigating what the press called the Fact or Fiction Murders. And Fact or Fiction was a public access television show um, hosted by two men, um, Stephen Avcast and Locus Wheeler, where they investigated different creepy things, cryptids, and legends 
and their show w was initially successful but was going down the tube so they decided to get cutting edge with it and involve the internet um, with IRC chat, internet uh, relay chat, uh, to take suggestions for subject matter for subsequent episodes. And they rigged up the IRC chat uh, to sort of speak with a human-like computeri computerized voice. And one night they got a message from someone they don't know who uh, that just said, why don't you do a story about the Jersey Devil? And so, Stephen Avcast and Locus Wheeler, along with their uh, sound man, Ryan Clacken, uh, they hook up with a man named James Seward, uh, who um, claimed to have psychic powers and knowledge of the Pine Barrens. And together, these four men went into the Pine Barrens one night to try and find the Jersey Devil uh, and went deep into the woods and only Jim Seward uh, emerged alive. Um, the body of Stephen Avcast was never found, although there were large, large portions of his blood found in the snow and uh, his hat was found in the snow, but no body. Uh, the bodies of Locus Wheeler and Ryan Clacken uh, were discovered horribly mutilated, very bloody, um, and pieces of their bodies were found all over the area. And Jim Seward said that he was alone in the in the tent on internet relay chat during the time the murders happened. But since he was the only one alive, they didn't have a body for Stephen Avcast. Don't know exactly what happened to him, but with the amount of blood, it's likely he's dead. Uh, so Jim Seward was put on trial, convicted of his murder and then died very mysteriously in his prison cell of causes unknown. And this documentary filmmaker, David Lee, is doing a documentary to try and find out exactly what happened. And he enlists a woman named uh, Michelle Monarch, who is a video specialist to analyze the v the VHS footage that was taken on the night of the murders to try and see if there are additional clues that can be found. And eventually they do find an image of what killed these three men. And it is not James Seward. Um, so that is the premise for the last broadcast. Um, it is very convincingly made. And I think the last broadcast is a really fascinating movie to watch because it is at once such a vivid portrait of what internet and video technology was in 1998 as it was starting to emerge um, and is also strangely relevant now because a big thing that uh, some of the interviewees talk about in the last broadcast is sort of that fear of the internet bringing bad things or allowing bad things to happen, the dangers of the internet, because this was when the internet was first becoming widely used. Um, and I lived through that time. Uh, and this movie just really captures what online life was like. But I think it also, as so, so late 90s as this film is, it 
it's still kind of relevant um, because we do know that there are very dangerous things on the internet. You know, this movie makes me think a lot of what was called in the media the Slenderman murders, where uh, two young girls who were very obsessed with the Slenderman mythos, which started out as a creepypasta um, and then spread. It's really one of the most recent examples of an internet urban legend really becoming huge. Um, And these two young girls actually tried to murder one of their friends, stabbing her many, many times and leaving her to die in the woods. She did not die. Um, And the two girls were caught and put on trial. Um, One of them is in prison. One of them is in a mental institution. Uh, And then the police officer, who was the chief investigator of that crime, uh, said a quote that the internet is full of dark and wicked things. And so I think as dated as it might seem in its era of 1998, the last broadcast is actually in many ways incredibly prescient um, in the way we're dealing with the internet now um, in the 21st century. Uh, This movie, The Last Broadcast, is actually the first film uh, that was made and edited completely on digital video. Um, So it has a place in the history books for that. And The Last Broadcast is a movie that is still very eerie to watch. Again, especially if you watch it late at night, there's a haunting quality to it. Um, Just these shots of the Pine Barrens, these snowy, dark woods with this sort of music or sound that sounds like it might be a thing in the woods, um, sort of screaming or keening in a way. It, it's just very eerie. I, I, I don't know if I would call it scary necessarily, but it is very haunting and very unsettling and very well made. And the footage, the found footage aspect of it, They capture some really, really terrifying images. Um, I think this movie is incredibly well done. Um, So uh, one of the fun things is that the people in the main characters in this movie, uh, when I was talking about them earlier, I used their character names, but their real names are actually quite close to them. Um, Stephen Avalos and Lance Wheeler were the chief writers and directors of the last broadcast, and they played Stephen Avcast and Locus Wheeler. Uh, Ryan Clabbers plays Ryan Clacken. Uh, Michelle Pulaski plays Michelle Monarch. Uh, David Beard plays David Lee, the documentary filmmaker. Uh, and I think a lot of the reason why some people don't like the last broadcast is because of its ending. Um, I don't have a problem with the ending, um, because for much of its runtime, the last broadcast really toys with you of, like, was, was there a creature, perhaps the Jersey Devil, that killed these three men, or was it someone else? Was Stephen Avcast, whose body was never found, the killer? Was it someone who was following them? And I think... One reason why the last broadcast, for some people, where the end doesn't hold up is the last broadcast, in its final moments, answers that question. Answers, 
exactly who kill who or what killed these people. Um, which I think for some people makes it a little less satisfying because it takes the ambiguity away and the style of filmmaking also completely changes towards the end of it, um, which again, some people have a problem with. I personally don't. Um, the ending works for me. Like the Blair Witch Project, the ending comes very fast. You're just suddenly at the ending. But I think the last broadcast does such a terrific job of setting up its verisimilitude and setting up its atmosphere that I I don't think the ending, which maybe is not ideal, I don't think the ending takes away from the film experience. Uh, I highly recommend you check out The Last Broadcast. It's a movie that not a lot of folks have seen, but is, I think... I mean, to my knowledge, I might be wrong, but it's really one of the only horror movies that I know of um, that is made about the Jersey Devil. And I think it is a tremendously effective horror movie about the legend of the Jersey Devil and deserves to be seen. It is currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video, and I definitely recommend you check it out, especially if you watch it late at night in the dark. So, check out the last broadcast, and then we'll come back for our second found footage feature of the night. In October of 1994, three student filmmakers disappeared in the woods near Burkittsville, Maryland, while filming a documentary. A year later, their footage was found. And that is the text at the beginning of the Blair Witch Project, directed by Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez, and written by them as well, uh, starring Heather Donahue, Michael C. Williams, and Joshua Leonard. Uh, released in 1999, became a huge phenomena, made over two almost 250 million dollars on its initial release huge huge success and um, it has become very very fashionable uh in recent years to really make fun of the Blair Witch Project and to discount and say, oh, it's a terrible movie. It's not scary at all. You know, it's all, it's all hype. It's terrible. Um, I am here in this episode to talk about why I believe that is not true. Um, I understand it uh, because I think if you were not of the generation as I was that lived through the build-up to the release of the Blair Witch Project, um, have know nothing about that, and just watched the movie itself, I can see how you might find it a little lacking. Um, but the creators of this film did such a great job of building up a mythology. Like, I vividly remember in high school, like, going to the website BlairWitch.com, which had all the mythology about Ellie Kedward, the Blair Witch, and the cycles of murders and strange happenings that happened in the woods around Burkittsville um, in the centuries subsequent to her death. Um, 
Uh, and then a month before the film was released, um, there was a documentary made by the creators that aired on the Sci-Fi Channel called Curse of the Blair Witch, which is similar in format to how the Blair Witch Project was originally supposed to be, um, where it's more of a straight-up documentary with talking heads analyzing this footage, very much like the last broadcast was. Um, because that was the original plan, you know, the, the footage shot by the three actors was only going to be about a third of the movie. Um, but then they filmed it, and Bud Martin, who was the production designer on this film, is actually the one who said to Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez, like, I think we've got it. I think the footage is the movie. Um, so he should get credit uh, for suggesting that, and he was absolutely right. But... Curse of the Blair Witch on the Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, it's on YouTube. I highly recommend actually watching that before you watch the Blair Witch Project because that really gives you a glimpse into the whole horrific mythology of the Blair Witch, which is touched on in the movie itself. Um, but it gives you a much um, bigger understanding of it and is just very creepy very 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 well done uh, another big part of the conceit of the Blair Witch Project that I think is forgotten or underestimated today is how long this movie was presented as real that this was footage shot by these real people who disappeared and were presumed dead um it wasn't until the movie was released in a wide release in July of 1999, uh, and even a little bit after it was initially released, that the studio actually admitted that it that the actors were actors, that they were not real people. In the whole you know six months of lead up into the release of the Blair Witch Project, from the time it premiered in Sundance in January '99 to um, when it you know, hit screens all over the place in the summer, uh, it was presented by everyone as being real. Um, the website imdb.com, which was relatively new then, uh, listed Heather Donahue, Michael C. Williams, and Joshua Leonard as missing, presumed dead. I went to IMDb during that time, and that is what that their pages said. Um, the page for the Blair Witch Project said the like missing presumed dead um so it was incredibly effective hugely effective um so by the time the movie itself was released everyone was so so hungry to see the footage that they had shot to see the full story really was brilliant marketing that the creators of makers of this movie came up with. Um, it, it has never been dupli duplicated since, and I don't think could be duplicated today. Um, yeah, it was just brilliant. And uh, there's so much fascinating stories about the making of this film. Um, and I'm going to try and not talk too long about it, but I encourage you, if you're interested in the making of the Blair Witch Project, to really go online and and look, read the many, many articles and oral histories and interviews that have been done with the folks who made this movie, because it is a fascinating story. Um, I do want to give a particular, I, and 
uh, let me say first, I watching the Blair Witch Project again, as I did before I recorded this episode, um, I think what makes this movie still so effective is that it is a phenomenally acted movie. Heather Donahue, Michael Williams, and Joshua Leonard give brilliant performances in this film. You absolutely believe they're real people. They're they're not perfect. Uh, they're even unlikable at some times. And but as the story goes on, like you see them, re- you see people really start to unravel and just lose their minds once they become lost in the woods. Um, and they turn on each other and have these emotional breakdowns that are so human and exactly what would actually happen to you if you were in this situation, if you were lost in the woods and something was after you that you couldn't see. Um, I think Heather Donahue in particular uh, is amazing in this film. Um, Heather Donahue is a graduate of the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, graduated with her degree in acting in 1995, um, worked in Philly theater for a year, then moved to New York in 1996 and got cast in The Blair Witch Project a year later, 1997. And the way that um, Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez had auditions for The Blair Witch Project uh, is they told the actors that it would they were the roles were going to be extreme that it would be in an outdoor location for almost the entire time that they would always be safe but they would not be comfortable and that the film would be entirely improvised uh and they said that the audition starts as soon as you walk in the room and the prompt that they gave the actors uh which was listed on the door outside is You've just served 10 years of a 25-year prison sentence. This is your parole hearing. Why should you be released? And Heather Donahue walked into the audition room, and they asked her that question, like, you know, you've served part of your sentence. Why should we, why should we release you? And Heather Donahue was the only person who replied to that question, I don't think you should release me. And she got the job. Um, I'd like to think that that that's very Philly acting training. I think like, I think Philly like college acting programs in particular, always about fine, like making not the obvious choice, finding the most interesting choice, which she definitely did. Um, she's wonderful, wonderful in this film. Um, it kind of destroyed her life for a while. Um, you know, she was 24 years old when she made it, and, like, this was what she was going to be known for for the rest of her life. So she, a couple of years later, she actually left acting, um, as did Michael Williams. Uh, Joth- Joshua Leonard is still an actor, um, but he's the only one of the of the trio of um, performers who is still practicing acting. But they're all great, but justice for Heather Donahue. She's amazing in this, in this fucking movie. Um, so a little bit about how they made this film. Um, the Blair Witch Project was filmed over an eight day period. Um, it actually finished filming on Halloween night, um, in 1997, uh, and which is just perfect. 
and the actors were the ones who filmed everything. Um, they were instructed to keep the cameras on as much as possible. Uh, and again, this is a movie where they're using sort of cutting-edge technology in that the Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez mapped out their route, uh, the actor's route throughout the woods, you know, where they would go, where they'd be camping each night, using GPS, which was very new technology at the time, but that's how they found, they marked their way through the woods. And every time they got to a campsite, there would be canisters that had um, individual directions for each actor, you know, th uh, which they would keep private, and they were all to do with conflict and things to generate conflict and raise it up. Uh, and as the shoot went on, uh, they did. The creators did start cutting down the food that the actors were given more and more and more till by the final day it would they got a mic one microwave burrito and a water bottle and that was all um so they were and they were of course being woken up in the middle of the night by the creators doing the haunting do being the blair witch um so during the filming of this movie the actors were really in real life, extremely tired and sleep deprived. They were hung, not starving, but they were hungry, um, which added to the tension uh, and the emotional extremity even more. Um, they had systems in place uh, if things went wrong. The actors did have a walkie-talkie with them, um, where and if something was going wrong or they needed to get the filmmaker's attention, uh, their code word was bulldozer. Uh, they only used it once. Um, there's one point where they had been hiking all day in the rain. They're all soaking wet, and they got to where the creators had pitched their tent, and they saw that there was about an inch of water in inside their tent and they're like no we're actors we're not we don't have to do it this way um and they used the bulldozer but the creators were actually uh out at dinner and didn't hear them so the actors actually walked out of the woods to the nearest house uh where they called the creators and they slept in a hotel room that night uh and were made to promise that they would not shower uh and that they would not eat anything um other than what they had already been given. And then they resumed filming. Uh, during the filming itself, with the three actors, if they they stayed in character almost all the time, because uh, that was what they were hired to do, but if they ever felt they needed to break character, um, all three of them had, had to break character to sort of come out of the scenario. And their code word, their safe word was taco. So if one actor said taco, then the other two would have to say taco, taco. And then they, and then they would be them themselves and not acting in the movie, uh, any longer. Um, so in this movie, uh, Heather Donahue and Joshua Leonard were actually get, as you can see in the film, getting very heated. And in the original outline of the story, um, which was not known to the actors, um, uh, Josh, uh, Michael was actually supposed to be the one who disappeared, uh, first, uh, but because things were getting heated between Heather Donahue and Joshua Leonard, they decided to take Joshua Leonard out and their direction for him was wait till everyone goes to sleep, then sneak out of the tent and wait for us. 
which he did. And then the creators said, all right, you're dead. You're going home. And Joshua Leonard said in an interview, I went home. I took a long, hot shower, got stoned and went to Denny's, <laughs> which sounds great. Um, and so the final portion of the film is with Heather and Michael Williams as they're really close to completely breaking down mentally. And Heather Donahue films probably the iconic image of this film, her her final monologue where she's saying goodbye and that she's sorry because she knows she's going to die. And it's become kind of famous for its sort of weird angle and close-up, which was not intended. Um, Heather was going to meant to film it, you know, just a reg regular way with her whole face, but the camera was zoomed in and she didn't know it. And I think it's all the better for it. Um, as... For much like uh, mockery and parody as that moment has received in film, I think it's actually unfair because watching the movie again, it is a truly devastating moment. Um, like where you like you just see this woman's eye in the middle of the screen, just crying and hearing these noises and knowing that she's at the end of her life, that she's not going to make it out of these woods alive. And then uh, she and Michael make it to the house in the middle of the woods that should not be there. Um, it was actually a house called the Griggs House, which was a real historic house um, that the crew uh, production designer Bud Martin dressed up with the, ch the children's bloody handprints and things like that. Uh, and... That house was actually demolished a year after the Blair Witch Project was filmed um, because people kept going to it and, you know, vandalizing it and stuff, which I think is a real shame. Uh, when they filmed this movie, um, like I said, they filmed it for eight days, ended on, ended on Halloween night, uh, and then they had filmed 80 hours of footage over eight days, and it took eight months to edit this movie down to what you finally see. And it is a lean, mean movie. There is no fat on this movie. It's 81 minutes long. Um, it just it just goes. Um, really, really skilled editing. The original cut of it was two and a half hours long. And by all accounts, it was just horrible. So then they cut it down to 81 minutes. And went to Sun, the Sundance Film Festival and Artisan Entertainment bought it for uh, $1.1 million. And the rest is history. Um, people watching The Blair Witch Project now will not get the same impact that it received back when it was released in 1999. And I just want to close out with my personal story of seeing The Blair Witch Project in a theater when it was first released because it is one of my most indelible moments watching a horror movie that I don't think has ever actually been topped, and I'll be surprised if it will. Uh, so my dad, since it was rated R, I was a freshman in high school when this came out, so I was like 15, 16, uh, so I couldn't see it by myself, so my dad took me to see it. Uh, and the theater was not like sold out, but it was very, very full. Um, it was, I think, the first weekend it was in wide release is when I, find, when I went to see it because I'd been waiting for it for months and months and was so excited. Um, because of the handheld camera work gave a lot of people motion sickness, my dad was one of them. So about halfway through the movie, when like the scary shit really starts going down, my dad actually left the theater. So I was by myself for the rest of the movie. 
And The Blair Witch Project is the only movie I've ever seen in theaters where the movie ended, the end credits started rolling with Tony Cora's really creepy music, uh, instrumental music piece, The Cellar. Credits started rolling and no one in the audience left. No one in the audience moved. No one in the audience said a word. It was dead silent, except for the music of the credits. And the credits rolled. The credits ended. The lights in the theater came up. And very, very slowly, people started getting out of their seats and slowly walking out of the theater. And the entire time, no one said a single word. I have never experienced a horror movie, any movie, that has had that effect on people. It was absolutely terrifying in a theater because there's so much of the film, like those night scenes when they're in the dark. And when you're in a movie theater, it is just it's pitch black dark. You're in the dark with them. And all you can hear is the sounds they're hearing and their voices and their screams. So I understand why people watching it today may discount the Blair Witch Project. But let me tell you, when this was released in 1999, it was one of the scariest films ever made. It was immensely powerful. And I think that legacy deserves to be remembered. I think this film deserves much more respect than it is given by most people today. Give it a chance if you haven't seen it. Read up on the mythology beforehand. Watch The Curse of the Blair Witch and then watch The Blair Witch Project because that's really how you were supposed to experience this story. And as someone who did back in the day... I have a really special cold place in my heart for the Blair Witch Project and everything that was achieved by every single person who was involved in making it. So watch that, and we'll come back and close. My friends, thank you for joining me once again for 62 Horror Movies with Josh Hitchens. That's me. Tomorrow night, we're going to have Haunted Asylum Night with House on Haunted Hill, the remake, which is excellent, from 1999, followed by the equally excellent and I think underrated Session 9 from 2001. Until then, my friends... Happy Halloween, it's almost here. <laughs>